yesterday. Have you been reading the blogs? If you jump on our Facebook, if you didn't know, we've been releasing blogs every few days in this theme and you can sort of catch up to where we're up to, but they've been awesome as well. So Sam's going to give us the word this morning. Why don't we all stand to our feet, honour the word of God as Sam comes to bring it this morning. Thank you, worship team. Sweet. Well, love actually. Who's enjoyed it? Yeah. It's been awesome. We've heard the dark secrets of all the speakers. If you've been coming every week, or is it just mine? My family secrets. Love actually. So today uh, we're just wrapping up and I get to finish it off. And so this morning uh, I thought I would just give a couple of handy hints for love actually. A couple of things that I've learned throughout my life is that I've realized this, is the wisdom of the world is not really the wisdom of God. Do you realize that? There are two different sets of wisdom. If society says one thing, God says something else. And as Christians, we believe in what God says. Is that we take hold of that, yes, we live in a society, we function in a society, but also, too, we lay hold and we live out the call that God has for our life and we follow the ways of Christ. Who's a follower of Christ here? Okay, half of us. Great. Like, honestly, we should be like, yeah, I am. I am. And so this morning, I want to just briefly talk about this. I just really uh, discuss this topic. And so in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, it says, My friends, stop thinking like children. Anyone relate to that? Guy, uh, women, just nudge your husbands. Think like mature people, and be innocent as tiny babies. I, I read this, and I love reading the Bible. I love what I get out of it. And uh, one of my favorite shows was Top Gear, until they asked the presenters. So who's gone from there to Amazon's right now? No? Just me. But I used to love that show, Top Gear. You would see them, Jeremy Clarkson, like, he is really politically correct, isn't he? All the guys are like, yep. (laughs) That's why we love it. We love it because he just says it how it is. We love it because we wish we could drive the cars that they drive. We wish we could do the things that they do. Who's tried it on the beach? I know Gustav would have. For sure, you know, he would have seen an episode of Top Gear and he's like, I'm going to do that on the beach. You know, I know my car probably won't make it, but it's going to be fun. And I love watching that, but if you look behind the scenes of that show, is what they've done is they've gone and they've marketed it to men. So they've realised what is going to attract men, what is going to amuse men. And so they've done this study and they've realised that if we could target our market to the age of an eight-year-old, it will be successful. It's so true. You know, ladies, right now you're thinking, what are we going to buy our husbands for Christmas? Well, just go downstairs and look at all the eight-year-old boys. You know, whatever they're playing with, just supersize it. It's so true. Is that, That's how it works. And so, for me, that is one of my favourite things. You know what? If we go into a relationship with a mindset of an eight-year-old, you know what? It's not going to last, guys. 
How many of us go into the mindset of a relationship as an eight-year-old? It's not going to last. No woman wants to be married to an eight-year-old. <laughs> Nick's like, I've learned that one. No woman. You know, no woman. And I love the statement, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one actually thinks of changing himself. And so when it comes to love, actually, when it comes to moving in circles and building relationships, you know what? We have to be mature. It's like that verse says, it's such, stop thinking like children, think like mature people, but be as innocent as babies. You know, but unfortunately, there are a lot of people in the church that haven't matured in their faith. Is that God calls each and every one of us to mature in our faith. And as we mature in our faith, then it means that our relationship with God matures as well. And so today I want to have a look at the challenge between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Why? Because if we lay hold of godly wisdom within our life, our relationships will be strong. Our relationship with others and our relationship with God's Proverbs 3, verse 7 and 8. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. It is so true. Depart from evil. You know, wisdom is the ability to judge correctly, to follow the best course of action based on knowledge and understanding. Who knows that? Based on knowledge and understanding. I love one of the quotes that says, the only true wisdom is in knowing that you know nothing. You know, when you walk into a relationship, I've realized this, after 14, nearly 15 years now, I still know nothing. (laughs) It is so true. You could be married for 20 years and still not know your partner. Like even last night, Carolina was saying to me, she's like, Sam, after all these years, you still don't really know me that well. (laughs) I'm like, what, babe? I, I, I thought I'd done everything right. And she's like, you've done everything right today. It couldn't be any more of a perfect day. I helped her set up for a baby shower, helped her pack down, did all the things, but she goes, but you just left one thing out. Okay. You forgot to stroke my hair. (laughs) We can't win, can we guys? But there comes a time where we've just got to realise sometimes we might think, we, we think we've got it down, we know it, but then all of a sudden we've got to realise, no, we don't. No, we don't. And, and that's with wisdom, it's coming to a thing, you know, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's morally right. Do you realise that? Whoa, got a bit of an amen there. So today I want to have a look at this. So my first thing is society says this, try before you buy. When it comes to relationships, when it comes to just working, when it comes to that, keep your options open. Society says those things. It says, hey, try before you buy. How do you know whether you're going to be sexually compatible? I think it's pretty easy. But the world would say, society says, well, hey, how about you try before you buy? Keep your options open. You look at right now is that there are people talking about, let's do 10-year fixed marriage contracts. So let's get married for 10 years, let's see how it goes, and at the end of 10 years, let's see if we re-sign. If you were here last Sunday night, I spoke about the marriage is what? It's It's a covenant between a man and a woman. It's a covenant, a biblical covenant between God. There are three people in here. There are God, 
a male and a female. But yet all of a sudden, society's saying, hey, let's keep our options open. Let's make sure that we don't put ourselves in in this place where we're stuck. We're stuck. You know, it seems too much. For some, you know, some of us, we just need to keep our options open. It's like, you know, when the word commitment comes, it's like, no. Can you commit to this job? Oh, I'm just going to keep my options open. I'll come and work for you, but I'm going to have the option. Well, how about this? Well, I just need the option in case, you know what, someone better comes along. You know, when the heat comes on certain people, you know, you can start to see what they're made of. So when the heat comes, like, who, who knows that relationships are hard sometimes? Who knows that sometimes in a relationship is that, you know, sometimes you're committed to the relationship, but it's like, oh, this is a hard... But then you see the cracks and the things that start to happen when the heat comes on. It's this commitment that society is missing today. You know, unfortunately, it's a lie sold to a generation. Is that if you keep your options open, there is always something better. You know what I find in life is there are a lot of people that are looking always for something better and they miss what God has placed in their hand. It's if we can just commit to the ways of God, if we can commit to the things that God puts in our hand and be faithful with them, then God will breathe upon them supernaturally. But I, I know I, I've got to keep my... You know, I'm not sure whether it's got... Oh, there's something better over here. And so we've got these people going to and fro, but they're never founded in who they are. They're never secure in who they are because they don't know how to commit. But then what about the emotional effects of not committing? Time and time again, we have to sit with people and talk about the whole emotional effect. Well, people not committing to marriages, people not committing to friendship, you you see it tear people apart. Is it that tears families apart? You know, godly wisdom says this, stay true. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of commitment. It's a matter of staying true to those around you. If you look at 1 Corinthians 7 verse 3, it says the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. It's in the Bible. Just quote in the Bible. You know, see how it didn't say your neighbor's sexual needs? Or your friends? Or the passerby? It actually says, hey, fulfill your husband, fulfill your wife. In other words, it's saying, hey, be committed in every area of your life. Be committed, stay true. 1 Peter 3, verse 7, In the same way, you husbands must give honour to your wives. Trust your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be the weaker than you. Is that politically correct? It's the Bible. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of your new life. Treat her as you should I love this last bit. So your prayers will not be hindered. Some of us wonder, want to know why our prayers don't get through. 
Maybe we haven't got the right, right relationship with our wife. Whoa. I, I actually love it. You know, the relationship you have with others determines the relationship you have with God. Like that last bit, it says, so your prayers won't be hindered. Uh, you know, I, I, I never want my, he- my prayers hindered. And there's one thing that I've learned throughout my marriage is that sometimes I'll go to bed, I'll lie down, and, and we're just about to go to sleep, and, and Carolina's like, you know what, I, I think I, I, I'm going to believe God for this. I'm like, okay, great, babe. And then all of a sudden, she prays for it just as we're about to go to bed. Who knows that she gets it the next day? I've learned this throughout my marriage is that she'll just go to bed and she'll say, this is what I want. And I'm like, okay. And she'll just start to pray for it. And then I'm like, well, I'm praying for things and nothing's happening. (laughs) And so I go back to that verse and I try to work out, what am I doing wrong? How am I not honoring her? But then I realized another trick. Is that if I need or really want something, I say, hey, babe, you know what? We're just about to go. Can you just pray for this for me? And then I get it. But there comes a time where we, we come into this place is that our relationship that we have with others will determine our relationship we have with God as well. Anything worthwhile requires commitment. Do you realize that? Anything worthwhile has the ability to ask the unexpected of you. Do you realize that? The reason why most of us don't want to quit is because we don't want the thing that is worthwhile committing to to ask the unexpected of us. True? Who hates, who hates unexpected things? You know, I like the same routine every day. I don't want unexpected interruptions. I do get them, but I don't want them. You know, look at it. Family is worthwhile. I look at my kids and I look how they love the house of God. I love hearing my house full of laughter and then sometimes not so much laughter, but it's so good. But I just love hearing those things. But who knows that family has the ability to ask the unexpected of you? Think about it. For anyone that has had kids or that is going to have kids, this is what's going to happen. The unexpected is going to be asked of you. Kids... Get sick. Do you realize that? At the most inconvenient times. I remember just recently we were driving back from Melbourne. And my second oldest, we're about, I don't know, five hours out of Brisbane, decides to say, I'm feeling sick. I'm like, no way. We've just done 20 million hours. Like, there's no way you're going to get sick right now. She's like, no, no, I'm, I'm feeling sick. I look back, no, you look all right, you're fine. No, maybe I should have taken the cue. In our nice car, she decides like, and you know what? The worst part about it, I was just pulling into a servo. I was like, yeah, maybe she is. And as we're just, she just go, I'm like, couldn't you wait? <laughs> like, there, right there. There is the Macca's sign. There. I'm like, the unexpected. It took me like an hour to clean that sucker. 
the smell the whole way back, five hours. You know, it was supposed to be a five-hour journey. Every 20 minutes, oh, I'm feeling sick. Okay, we had to pull it. It took us another day. It took 12 hours. Five hours went to 12 hours. I'm like, you're so inconsiderate of us all. And the car still smells to this day. Like sometimes family, you know, but it's worth it. The unexpected. You know, they, they, they get sick. Oh, no, now I'm at home for a week. I can't even go to work. You know, I go to work just for a holiday sometimes. Any other people relate to that? Put your hands down. Or what about this? The kids get in trouble. Oh, no, here we go. This one, the kids get in trouble. The same one got in trouble at kindergarten. We get a phone call. She's sitting in the principal's office at kindergarten. Which kid gets in trouble at kindergarten? Just mine. Why? Because she's got leadership upon her life, she's strong will, and she'll tell that teacher how it works. But we get pulled in, you know, sometimes there's another thing, you get away from it, you've got to sit down, then you've got to explain yourself, oh, okay. And then for the next year, we're talking to our daughter, you know what, when you go to, you've got to, you know, be kind, helpful and caring. You know, the teacher can't lead, but you can, so here we go. You know, those things we have to explain, it's so inconvenient, but it's worthwhile. What about when the bills come in? How inconvenient is that one? You know, all of a sudden the bills come in, it's like there goes the jacati for Christmas. <laughs> but it's worthwhile. These things are worthwhile. I won't even mention the spouse. They are so worthwhile. <laughs> they are unbelievably worthwhile. They are so worthwhile that you will stroke their hair even when you don't realise it. <laughs> what about work? has the ability to ask the unexpected of you. Every now and then, the boss walks over. Hey, uh, this job just needs to be finished. Do you reckon you could just finish it? No. Well, it's got to be done by the weekend. Do you reckon you could... You know, sometimes it asks the unexpected. Sometimes we just have to lay those things aside and actually... Why? Because it's worthwhile. Why? Because having a job is actually worthwhile. Doing your best, being a shining light, going beyond and above is actually worthwhile. You know, or what about, you know, the job needs special consideration? Are you the person to stand up and say, hey, I'm the solution? You know, most employers will run as it'll be like something needs to be done, something, you know, that, and we're like, no, nah. it's the boss's consideration. Like, when I started work up here, I'll tell you what, I, I used to be a panel beater, spray painter. And in Melbourne, you start at 7 o'clock, you finish at 6 or 7 o'clock. That, that's just how I worked. And when I came up to Queensland, I was shocked. I was shocked at how lazy everyone was <laughs> in the trade industry. They would start at like 7.30 and no one would be there at 4 o'clock. I'd be like, where is everyone? And I, I said to the boss, I said, what's going on? Like, it's four o'clock. Where have they all gone? He goes, no, no one, no one works after four o'clock. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, no, 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 no one works after four o'clock. It's tools down, that's it, they're out. They don't even come back Saturdays. I'm like, I have come to the promised land. <laughs> this is unbelievable. 
you know why? I, I, I saw a solution here. I saw a problem that needed an answer. I saw I could get as much overtime as possible. How good is that? Everyone's like, what? Yeah, overtime. That's good. But those things, I saw a solution. I'm like, well, okay, he wants the shop open. He wants these things, so I'll step in and be the solution. There are some things that in life is that, you know what, there are going to be things, anything worthwhile is going to ask the unexpected of us. Is going to draw out something, maybe something that we don't want to do. But you realise this, is that God will always ask the unexpected of you. Do you realise that? God will always ask the unexpected of you. He'll always ask for that little bit extra. He'll always ask for that little bit extra time. He'll always ask for that, not, not to be selfish, but just to say, hey, listen, I, I want to take you on a journey. I, I want to see you grow. I want to see you mature. I, I want to see the best for your life. And he'll always get, you know, God, you're standing in line and you just want a coffee. And, and you know, maybe you've only got enough for your own coffee, but then all of a sudden, you hear a prompting say, buy for the person in front of you or the person behind you. You're like, God, but I need this coffee. He's like, no. But all of a sudden, you're paying for the person behind you. God will always ask the unexpected of you. He'll always look for those opportunities to say, well, hey, do you trust me? Can you be my light? Can you impact the world around you? Can you breathe into this community the Spirit? He'll always ask the unexpected of us. I love what Jesus said about commitment. In Matthew 5, 36 to 38, he says, Now shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. In other words, he's saying, you know what, when you make a promise, when you make a commitment, let it be a yes or a no. Let it be a yes or a no. For, for me, when I, I speak to people and I ask people to help or do something or can you do something with us or can you move forward, like I always say this, that I, I never want a maybe. I never want to, I will go and pray about it. Why? Because I will go and pray about it's really saying no. Let's just face it. Or I have to talk to the wife. That's another no. I'll always say this. Hey, listen, if you can't do it, please just tell me no now. It's okay. Let's just get it out of the way. Just tell me no. I won't be offended. We can just move on and have a great relationship. Because what I find is when people say, well, oh, listen, I'm just going to go and pray about it or I'm just going to go and talk to the wife or I'm just going to go and do these things. Who knows that for the next three Sundays, they actually never say hi to me. <laughs> it's because I, I walk into church and they're walking out the other door. Or, or I'll walk this way and they'll walk down the hallway. And it's like I'm going round and round and round. I'm not even after them for an answer because I already know it's no. Yeah. But there's this awkward thing that they think, oh, no, I haven't told him yet. I haven't prayed about it. God hasn't spoken to me. <laughs> but Jesus just says, hey, let your yes be a yes, and your no be a no. Let, let's just be committed. Commitment is one of those things that set us apart. Yeah. It's one of those things 
that set us apart. You know what? It's time for us to be committed to kingdom purposes. As a church, we are required to be committed to kingdom purposes. You know, godly wisdom is this. Stay true. Let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. The second thing is society would say is that he who has the most toys wins. He who has the most toys wins. You see it all the time. It's like he who has the most toys, he who has the most cars, he who has the biggest house. Like, it's like this thing that society says is that, you know what, if you've got all that, you've made it. If you've got all that, you just need to get more. Who knows that that doesn't fill our lives? That doesn't help us at all. You know, or the other thing is, as you get into a job and it's like, well, I don't get paid for that. It's not my job. You know, we believe that this, in this generation that it expects everything. We live in a generation, let's face it, that expects everything to be committed to them and their development. But when the expectation goes back the other way, it's like we're always asking too much of them. Why? Because it's about me. Why? Because, you know, it's about what I can get, not what I can give. Yeah, wow. Is that if we look at the biblical perspective of this, is that God calls us to live a generous life. He calls us to be generous in every area of our life. Generosity, we should always have a spirit of generosity. Where the world's spirit is this, is of what can I get, how much more can I have? Where, where God's like, hey, how much more can I give? You know, we're asking too much of them. It's all about me and it's all about my rights. It's, it's the E word. Entitlement. Yeah. Is that we live in a world that believes that it's entitled to everything. It's entitled to everything. But yet somehow this world thinks that they're exceptional that they're unbelievable, that they're all these things, but at the end of the day, they are that, but they seem to be entitled to it. And so sometimes we can go through life being so entitled to things that we miss the opportunity that God has laid before our lives. You know, lifestyle, comfort, retirement, you know, they're after all these, we're entitled to all these, but do you realise that you can lose all this stuff at the blink of an eye. You can have everything in the palm of your hand, but tomorrow be gone. We can't ground our foundation within things. As Christians, we ground our foundation within God. I love what JFK, in his first speech as President to the United States, he said, he said, My fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. You know, he flipped the whole concept of entitlement. I believe we live in that day right now, is that we need to ask that question. What can we do? Is that we need to ask that question, is that not God, what can you do for me, but God, what can I do for you? That's how we approach our Christian walk. That's how we're supposed to approach our Christian walk. Is like, God, what can you do for me? But God, what can I do for you? God, here I am. Here I am. What do you want? I, I love kingdom thinking because it, 
it's always back to front. Always back to front. It's always totally the opposite to almost what the world preaches, to what society says. It's like not take, but let's give. In Mark 12, 42 to 43, uh, the story, if we've got it there, the story of Jesus sitting across from the offering box. You know what? He was observing how the crowd tossed money into the collection. Many of the rich were making large contributions. One poor widow came up, put in two small coins, a measly two cents. Jesus called his disciples over and said, the truth is that this poor widow gave more into the collection than all the others but put together. All the others gave out of what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly. What she couldn't afford, she gave her all. I believe God calls us to live like this. Not so that we have nothing, but so that we come to the realisation of all that we have as His to give. To give. Like, how would you feel? Hazel, can I... How would you feel if if I followed the offering bucket around every day. It would make you feel a bit uncomfortable, wouldn't it? I reckon a lot more people might give. <laughs> or the church would be emptier. <laughs> but, but Jesus, he, in this thing, he places himself right where the offering bucket was. Yeah, I, I, I find this is that Jesus places himself in the temple in God's house, and he still saw the temple as God's house. He was living under the old covenant, the temple. He found himself daily, they found themselves daily in the temple. And so Jesus was the son of God. He was there. He still found himself in the temple. He sat there by the offering bucket. And these ones that had wealth came and gave, but they didn't give out of their substance. They were basically just tipping God. But yet this woman comes and, and just has two cents. And who knows, today you can't even get a, two cent, a one cent piece or a two cent piece. So I've had to go two fives. But they had, came in just two coins, two measly coins, and she pops it in. And Jesus makes that statement that this woman has given more. She's given extravagantly. My question to you is, do you give to God extravagantly? And I'm not saying give God all your money, but come to a realisation that all that you have is God's anyway, and do you worship Him with all that you have? Yeah, great. Because there comes a time where we've got to realise is that our things don't control us, we control our things. Yeah. You know, our substance doesn't control us, we control our substance. And so all that we have, and I love how Carolina put it this morning, all that we have is to glorify God anyway. All that we have is to use to share the gospel. And so this lady, she comes and gives all that she has, and God's like, you know what? She gave extravagantly. Do you give extravagantly with your car? Do you give extravagantly with your house? Do you use those things for the purposes of God? Because that's what a generous life looks like. A generous life isn't coming on a Sunday and just giving into the offering bucket or just coming to a place and saying, hello, goodbye, but it's actually with your life, do you give it to the cause of Christ? 
During the week, do you give words of knowledge? During the week, do you, like Caroline, do you invite people for coffee? Do you just say hi? How are you going? Do you engage those around you with your life, with your substance? Yeah, wow. Or do you keep it as separate? That's my church life, Sunday. I would say 10 o'clock. For some, 10.15 to 11.20. For others, we might get here a little bit early. This morning, I met a couple that got here a little bit earlier. They actually got their seat. But that it's not just in this time frame, but it's in all that we do. It's in all that we are. Is it, are we believing, are we thinking and saying, God, show me your kingdom purposes in every relationship so that when we come into a relationship, there is generosity around our life that we bless those around us. So that we bless those around us so they may come to know Christ. That's what love actually is. Love actually is us engaging our world. You know, true wealth is not measured of what a person has, but the measure of what they give into portion to what they have. If you have something, then you're rich. If you know a little bit more, then you have something to give. You know, for us, we are called to make disciples. We are called to go into the world. We are called to influence our world for good and for God. And some people go, you know, I I just don't know enough. I just don't, I've never read the Bible from cover to cover. That's okay. Have you read the book of John? Well, yeah, I've read one book. I've read the book of John in the Bible. Well, okay. How about you find someone that just got saved? How about you find someone that has just come into a relationship with God and read that with them as well? Just take them through that. Giving something that you know, like discipleship is just being a little bit further than someone else, but taking someone with you. Godly wisdom is this, do what you can. Do what you can. The Christian life is one of giving rather than a life of striving to get. It's about living generous lives with what we have. Godly wisdom always asks the question, it always asks this question, how can I be someone's answer? Today, how can you be someone's answer? In all the relationships that you have, whether you're in a marriage, whether you have friendship groups, or or maybe it's those groups at work or, or wherever it is, how can you be someone's answer? How can you speak life and hope into those around you in all that you do? How can you be a witness? How can you be a witness? So the first one, where society would say, try before you buy. But God says, stay true. Let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. Stay true. Society would say, he who has the most toys wins. But God says, do what you can. Do what you can to be someone's answer. 
today, church, will you be someone's answer? Will you be the one that influences our world for good and for God? Will you be the one that sees heaven come to earth? Will you be the one that gets to sit, have the opportunity that gets to sit with someone and pray for them? Would you get the privilege to just maybe sit with someone and pray with them the prayer of eternity, of forgiveness, of salvation? Where do you stand today? I'd love for us just to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I don't know everyone in the building today. I don't know everyone's story. But I want to give you the opportunity. I don't know if you have a relationship with God. But I want to give you the opportunity today to be part of this prayer. To respond to the gospel. And we believe that Jesus died on a cross so that we could have a relationship with God. And the world looks in at that and they think, well, how can a saviour die and in his death bring restoration to humanity? But God says this, God's wisdom is this, is, you know, at the power of the cross, the cross is the power of salvation. Because he took on the sins of the world, he died in our place because we could never, ever, we could never, ever, come to a place of working our way into right standing with God. Where he come and said, you know what, you could never do it, so here I am, I'm going to give my son so that you can have a relationship with God. And then he just asks us to believe upon him, believe upon Jesus. And as we believe upon Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, what we say is, Lord God, right now I'm not in right standing with God. I know I don't have a relationship with him. And right now as I believe upon Jesus... Lord God, right now those things that hold me back and those things are a sin that separate us from God having a relationship. As we say, God, here I am, I lay my life, I I repent of my sin. He says that He sends His Holy Spirit as a guarantee so that we can be in right standing with God, so that we can have a relationship with God. And this morning, if you want a relationship with God, All you have to do is believe upon Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. And so I know who I'm praying with. I'd love, while no one is looking around, just to raise your hands, just as I look across. Father God, you see the hearts in this place. Lord God, you know where we're at. Today, Father, I pray that right now for those that believe upon you for the first time, Lord, that you seal the decision with your Holy Spirit. Lord God, that it's not a moment decision, but it's an eternal decision. Lord God, it's the beginning of a relationship with you. And Father God, today I pray that you seal it in everyone's heart today. Every individual, ones that have made a decision for the first time. But God, maybe ones that are coming back to you, Father, as they decide in their heart today. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's give God a hand.